The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, I am so excited about this new series called Formed by Jesus. If you are not connected to a small group and you'd like to get connected to take part in this series, with a small group. We've got a full curriculum, discussion guides, people in our body have written. We've got some videos that go along with them, along with David Richardson and TJ Greeson doing just a ton of work to put together this curriculum. So if you're not connected to a home group and you'd like to be out at the curve counter, we've got some of these forms you can fill out. Group leaders or individuals, if you would like to look at our study Either you can use a QR code and get our bulletin or go to the hub on our website and there's a link to this study that we'll do on the disciplines. And then just want to mention also, if you are new to TBC, really come anytime this year. We've got a newcomer's brunch next Saturday at 10. You can get a card at the curve counter and get more information about that. One last thing, last week we talked about the fact that two weeks ago we had 285 kids in our launch pad. We're so grateful for that and we need some volunteers. And so we got some that we needed, but we still have some more needs. If God would stir in your heart to serve kids and share Christ with them, take the opportunity to talk to Ashley or Julie or Lucas, learn more about how you can serve and help kids to be formed by Jesus Christ. Well, as we dive into a series on the spiritual disciplines, when I began to think about this series, this guy came to my mind. His name was George Mueller. And George Mueller, he was a, a, this great missionary in England, to England, from England. And George Mueller had boys' homes where he relied on God to take care of vulnerable children, and he had a lot of work to do every day, caring for kids in hard places, making sure there was food, making sure they learned things about the Lord, and so he had all kinds of activity to do, but at some point along the way, George Mueller began to know the importance of his life being formed by Jesus through time with Jesus, and so George Mueller, he said this, he said, the point is this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great primary business which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. He said, the first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how much I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. And so George Mueller did that by beginning his day in time with the Lord in his word and then in prayer. He wanted to be happy in the Lord. And you, you might read a quote like that and go, yeah, you're gonna tell me to do these activities so I can have a great time. Uh, I, I don't know George Mueller, but you don't know what my life is like, Chase. Well, I want you to hear George Mueller spent his days ministering to children in the most broken of situations, the most tragic of circumstances. So he didn't go to be happy in the Lord so that life would just be easy for him, but he went to be happy in the Lord, to spend time with the Lord so that whatever the day brought about, he would interact with that day having encountered Jesus Christ. So we're gonna talk about the disciplines over the next several weeks and 
And you can hear the disciplines and go, well, is this just a list I check off? You can look at the spiritual disciplines and go, well, is this just a law I have to do to earn favor with God? I mean, it, you can try that. It can be, but that's, that's not going to work, and that's not what it's intended to be. The disciplines are meant to be these things that we do to encounter Jesus Christ so that we can live a fully integrated Christian life, disciples of wholehearted devotion whose lives are happy in Jesus Christ. Now, Acts 13 describes something that I think we can learn from. In Acts 13 too, it tells about how there were prophets and teachers that were gathered together in Antioch, which was becoming the hub of this young church. And it says that they were they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, or your translation might say they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And the, the root word of that word ministering or worshiping is liturgeo. It's where we get the English word liturgy. That these guys weren't doing something special on that day. They were doing what they did every day. They were being with the Lord together and being with the Lord was changing them. It was transforming their lives so that they set apart two of them to go and take the gospel. And so what we wanna do is grow happy in the Lord by knowing him. So we're gonna talk about these disciplines, these practices people have been doing since biblical times that are often underused, sometimes misunderstood, far less mysterious really than we tend to make them out to be, but but as believers engaging in these practices regularly, God can use them to draw us closer to him and transform who we are. I had the privilege of, of growing up next to a man who knew what George Mueller knew. This is why George Mueller wanted to be happy in the Lord because Jesus said this is really eternal life to know him. You wanna find joy, you wanna enjoy God, you wanna grow in what it means to be fully human and fully alive. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Well, I had an uncle that came to understand this. He was my uncle John. I was kind of always close to him, spent a lot of time around him. And Uncle John was a really simple guy. He was the seventh of nine children. His family was really poor. So when he was in ninth grade, he quit school to go work in an oil field to help provide for his family. He had a great sense of right and wrong. He had a great sense of hard work. Uncle John was kind of living by his own merit. And when I was 14, something happened in Uncle John's life. And what happened was he had this cataclysmic moment where he encountered his own sinfulness. He made some choices that just could have been devastating for his life. And when he did, he came to understand that no matter how many 12-hour shifts he worked to provide for his family, no matter what sort of sense of morals he might have, there wasn't enough he could do. There wasn't a way he could become right with God on his own. And so my Uncle John, when he encountered his sin, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed everything about him. He was a, a good old boy, you might say, and he was a guy that taught me about right and wrong a lot, but he was also the guy that taught me how to cuss really well. But when I was 14, something happened and everything was different. 
And shortly after that, my parents had divorced and I went to live with Aunt Carol and Uncle John. And I'd stayed with them before, but something was different. When I would wake up in the morning, Uncle John was always awake. And Uncle John was either reading the Bible or praying or listening to a sermon on TV, taking some notes. He became more generous in a really sacrificial way. Now, Uncle John never said to me, hey, I'm doing the spiritual disciplines, Chase. I'm attending church. I'm giving. You notice I don't eat on Mondays. That's because I'm fasting. Hey, I'm learning how to pray every day and read the Bible. These are the spiritual disciplines, Chase. I don't even know if Uncle John ever knew those were called the spiritual disciplines. But he encountered Jesus in such a way that every day he wanted to encounter him again. And so about six or seven months after I moved in with Aunt Carol and Uncle John, who had one rule in their house legitimately, on Sunday mornings you show up at First Baptist Church in Deweyville, Texas. Well, through them and through that church, I encountered my sin and I encountered Jesus Christ and And when I trusted Christ, Uncle John said, hey, if you want to wake up and hang out with me while I'm reading the Bible, you can do that, Chase. He might have read two books outside the Bible in his life. But he taught me how to pray. He taught me how to give. He taught me how to study the Scripture, but not in a way that was lording it over me or like he was checking off a list. I don't think he had a list. We'd read together. What do you think this means, Chase? Let's talk about it. And and so there... began to be this normal Christianity for me. It was that our lives are formed by Christ and this is what you've been destined for if you're in Christ. The Bible has lots of different ways to say this and the disciplines are a means of God's grace for us to embrace this. In Romans 8, Paul said it like this, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, we could dive deep into all the different theological opinions on this verse, but whatever yours might be, we can all agree if you're in Christ, you've been predestined to be conformed to his image. And yes, there's an end point to that. We will be presented to the Father holy and blameless in His sight. But our lives in Christ have been made that we would be being transformed into the image of Christ. Peter says it a different way. Let's read this aloud together. Well, let me read John 1 first, then we'll get to Peter. John begins his gospel and he says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And light shone in darkness, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. So again, the disciplines, they can be a list, they can be a law. Or, like my Uncle John began to understand, like George Mueller knew, you can know that in Jesus' life, and I'll do whatever it takes to be formed by him. And so this series is really intended to be life-giving. That over and over and over as we grow in knowing Jesus, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether you're just starting out, that you would experience life in Jesus and that it would be a light for you that overcomes all the darkness that would come against you. Peter said it this way. Would y'all read this out loud with me? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So what Peter is saying to these churches he's writing 
Two is that God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through knowing Jesus. And the disciplines are a path to know him. They're a path to know him. And knowing him is so wonderful that it's worth the discipline of getting in the word, of praying, of fasting, of being part of the church, of giving, of serving, of showing hospitality, of spending time in solitude. It's worth it. And if you know what's at the end of the journey, you might just be willing to do a lot to get there. That happened to my wife and I. We went to a place on our honeymoon called Lake Louise. And in 2006, had some really good friends from Edmonton. Their names are Charlene and Quentin Nanaga. And Charlene and Quentin were great folks, really down-home people. Uh, Quentin kind of grew up in the Deweyville, Texas of Alberta. And it's a really little town and we just hit it off, and they asked me to come preach at their church. And before I came up, they said, hey, we've, our family's got a condo outside this town called Banff. I said, oh, I know where that is. Would you and your wife like to come and stay in that condo for a few days? And we said, yes, because when someone offers a free condo, you take them up on that, right? And so we went, and we had read about this place called Johnston Canyon, and there are waterfalls in Johnston Canyon, and there's kind of some fine print that says you should wear some ice cleats if you go there, but we were going in May, and so we really didn't think we needed that. And in 2006, my wife and I began the journey on the trail to Johnston Canyon. And uh, all the Canadians must have had a great laugh that day. Because in May, it was icy, and we uh, looked like people playing Twister on the trail. It did not go well. But we made it. And at the end of the journey, this is what we saw. This is one of seven frozen waterfalls. So in 2016, we were headed back to Canada, and this time we were taking our kids with us. And we were going to have a one-year-old and a two-year-old that were going to be in backpacks. And so we prepared. We walked with backpacks. We did a lot to get ready for this journey. And we took some cleats in the car this time. But we went in June. It wasn't icy. Praise God. It was a much more pleasant experience. You see, whether you're really, really prepared or whether diving into the disciplines might be brand new for you, at the end of the journey, it's worth what it costs because we get to know Jesus Christ. See, life in Jesus and the beauty of life in Jesus moves us to be formed by Jesus because the life of knowing Christ is more beautiful than anything else. And so we want to talk about doing that through the spiritual disciplines over the next several weeks in large groups and in home groups and as individuals, as friends. Well, what are the spiritual disciplines? Don Whitney has a great definition of them. He says, the spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. Since biblical times, God's people have been doing things like fasting and praying and reading the scripture and showing hospitality to one another and serving one another and giving to God's purposes and sharing the gospel. And Dr. Whitney says these are practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth. So it's kind of distinct. You might go, well, yeah, I, my spiritual disciplines are working out and gardening. 
Working out's a fine thing to do, but it's not a spiritual discipline. These are found in Scripture. They're biblical practices that promote growth in Jesus. Gardening is a fine thing to do. If you're Charlie Stoner, you'll grow some beautiful things. If you're me, you'll plant seeds and watch plants die. It's a fine thing to do, but but it's not a spiritual discipline. These are habits of devotion. And when we engage in them, we engage with a cloud of witnesses for thousands of years of God's people who've said, these are ways that I can grow to know Jesus Christ. Now, Whitney's careful to say that these disciplines are derived from the gospel. They're not divorced from the gospel. They're derived from the gospel. We do these things because our lives have been transformed and we want them to be further transformed. So these are the ones we will talk about. Next week, Tim will teach us about reading and studying and memorizing scripture. We'll look at being part of the church and praying and fasting. Solitude and Sabbath, those might be really, really valuable things for us. What is it like to still ourselves before the Lord in a culture where all of us live every day like a heart surgeon on call. What does it mean to say Jesus is so valuable and I trust him so much to provide for my family that I'll give to the church and to the needs of those around me? That I'll give my time to serve and show hospitality. One of my buddies texted me this morning and said, hey man, I'm gonna live stream the sermon later. My small group is going to feed my sheep to help take care of people in our community. What does it look like as a discipline to share the gospel of Jesus with those around you? These disciplines are a way that we put ourselves in the path to be formed by Jesus. There's no magic in doing them. They're not a rabbit's foot. They're not a way that we can force the hand of God because then we would be God. But God can use ordinary practices to transform our lives in extraordinary ways. And that's what happens when we engage in the disciplines. Well, what if I, what if I miss a day? Start over. What if I miss a week? Start over. What if I miss a month or six months? You might know what my answer is this time. Start over. Chase, I'm, I'm 65. I've, I've lived all of my life. I, isn't it too late for me to start? Well, no. However many days you want or you live, don't you want them to be formed by Jesus? Don't you want to know what it means to be fully human and fully alive so we put ourselves in the path to be shaped by God and to love people? So today, we are actually going to get to the text. You might look at the end of Mark chapter 10. And we're going to talk about two people today who put themselves in the path. Two men who needed an encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, their encounters happened in two different gospels. Their encounters happened at least within a day of one another and maybe on the same day. Those two guys are Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus. Jesus is walking through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. It's just before the triumphal entry. When he's entering, he encounters Zacchaeus. When he's leaving, he encounters Bartimaeus. And so we're going to read the account of Bartimaeus, talk a little about the account of Zacchaeus. 
And they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, and Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. That word cried out is literally to squawk like a raven. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now what I love about the disciplines is You can enter them without much intentionality. Bartimaeus was sitting where he sat every day on the roadside begging for people to give him money and Jesus happened to come by. He was at the right place at the right time in the right path. Zacchaeus was very, very intentional. Jesus is entering Jericho and Zacchaeus hears it and he runs ahead of the crowd because he's a short guy. So he doesn't want to just kind of look through people and get a glance at Jesus. He doesn't have one of those little stools that Tom Cruise has where he stands up on it for the up-close scenes where he can look over people's shoulders and get a glimpse at Jesus. He climbs a tree so that he can set his gaze on Jesus. And Jesus comes into Jericho and he sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. Now Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Not loved by the Jewish people because he had defrauded them of money he had taken from them and he was wealthy because of his love and partnership with Rome. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give all that I have to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to give them back four times what I've taken. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. Now, Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus are two different guys with very similar encounters. And they put themselves on the path to encounter Jesus Christ. And we all put ourselves in a path for something, Through our screen time, we can put ourselves in a path to numb our minds and escape the reality that we don't want to think about. We can put ourselves on a path for our lives to be ruled by the schedule of our kids, sports, or music, or whatever else. We can put ourselves on a path to get just the right career and just the right money and just the right house so that maybe at the end of the journey we'll be satisfied. We can put ourselves on a path to gain the world and lose our souls. We all put ourselves on some sort of path, but but we're inviting us as a body to put ourselves on the path of encountering Jesus over the next several weeks. We don't know if Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus knew Jesus was coming, 
But we, when he found out Jesus was there, he cried out. So why would we put ourselves on this path? And I think we find the answer in this statement that Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Putting himself in the path and encountering Jesus, it's an act of belief and it's an act of confession. He says, son of David. Now that might not mean anything to you, but it would have meant something to everybody in that crowd. The son of David is the one Israel was waiting for. There was going to be a king that would come. The prophets had told them, and he would be like King David, and he would restore Israel to prominence is what they thought. He would vanquish Rome. Their occupiers would go away, and Israel would find the life they were hoping for. And Jesus came to give something better than most people could have ever imagined. So Zacchaeus puts himself in the path. He cries out to Jesus as an act of belief. You're the one. He's crying out and people are hushing him. You're the one, but he's right. Jesus is the one. He was the one. Jesus was headed to Jerusalem where great crowds were going to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're gonna wave palm branches saying, this is the king who's come. And before any of them do, Zacchaeus does. Bartimaeus does. You're the one. You're the one. For Zacchaeus, it's an act of belief as well. It's an act of belief as well, and it's going to change him, but it's not just an act of belief. It's an act of confession. Bartimaeus says, have mercy on me. Now, in the church, you hear us use terms grace and mercy a lot because we receive it a lot. And God's grace is when God gives us something we don't deserve. He's going to do that for Bartimaeus. He's going to do that for Zacchaeus. He's going to give Bartimaeus his sight. He's going to bring salvation to Zacchaeus. But Bartimaeus doesn't say, son of David, have grace on me. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. Don't leave me as I deserve. Don't leave me in my blindness. And see, putting ourselves in the path can be an act of confession. I need you, God. I need your word today, God, to change my life. I need your spirit to shape me by what I read. I need to cry out to you because I need help from you. It's an act of belief, but it's an act of confession. It's an act of confession. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. Can you imagine what it's like? Zacchaeus is in Jericho. He's encountered Jesus Christ. And he walks into Hope Pregnancy Center and says, hey, I've got a big donation. Wait, aren't, aren't you Zacchaeus, a tax collector? He leaves Hope Pregnancy Center. He goes to churches touching lives for Christ. Goes down the road to Belton right outside of Jericho, Right? helping hands. Hey, I've got, just got some money I want to give. Well, you, you want to give? You're the, you're the tax collector. He goes over to foster love. Got a big check to write today. Then can you imagine he shows up at these people's houses and they know who he is. They've seen him. He wouldn't look them in the eye when he said your taxes are this much and they knew it was way more than they were supposed to pay. 
And he knocks on the door and they're thinking, oh, what is it now? How much this time? And he goes, no, I'm like, I, I treated you wrong. And so I, I've come to give back. I, I treated you in ways that you didn't deserve. So I'm, I'm bringing those back and I've got more. Well, what? Can you tell me why? Yeah, there, there's this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, and I encountered him, and it, it changed everything. See, we don't do the disciplines because life will get easier. Life didn't get easier for Zacchaeus. He gave in such a way that he could maybe no longer take the vacations he used to take. Maybe... He didn't drive the car he used to drive or live in the house he used to live in because his life was radically altered by an encounter with Jesus Christ when we put ourselves on the way. It's an act of belief. It's an act of confession. It's an act of encountering Jesus Christ. And here's what Bartimaeus, in effect, is saying, I think, what Zacchaeus, in effect, is saying, and what we all say is this when we engage in these habits of grace. Number one, I have not the strength. I want to receive my sight. There was nothing Bartimaeus could do to give himself sight. There was no amount of penance Zacchaeus could pay to make himself right with God. I don't have the strength. But it's not just I don't have the strength. It's also I know not the way. I need you today, Jesus. I need the word of God to guide me. I need your spirit to empower me. I need your people to come alongside me and encourage me. I have not the strength. I know not the way. So through a thousand small decisions, I'm gonna trust in the Lord with all of my heart and lean not on my own understanding in all of my ways in the days and weeks and months that I read and pray and fast and give and serve and show up and sit quietly. I'm gonna lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him on this path and he will make my path straight. These habits of grace can impact our lives, certainly, as an act of belief, certainly as an act of confession, but I think also as an act of love. See, Bartimaeus had people who cared for him, and when he was transformed by Jesus, he freed them to not have to do some of the things they had to do. Zacchaeus, encountering Christ, went and loved people in ways they could have never imagined. And when we encounter Jesus through a thousand small decisions, it will impact us as well. Who I am and who you are in Christ will cause us to sow in certain ways that we might reap a different life for the glory of God. It's an act of belief. It's an act of confession. It's an act of love. It is also an act of Training, Paul told Timothy, train yourself for godliness, but it's a grace-driven effort. You might go, I don't want to do that. I just want to live my life without any limitations. And what I want to say to you is that living life without any limitations is not freedom. 
you try to live life without any limitations, you'll just become enslaved to your own passions. But if you train yourself for godliness, there's value in this life and in the life to come. And so there is a sense in which we're reaping and sowing. We're planting seeds to see something grow. We're all reaping and sowing something. I would ask, what are you reaping and sowing? Because there's no doubt about it. You reap what you sow. You reap where you sow. You reap something bigger than you sow, good, bad, or ugly. You plant it and something grows. What you reap is bigger than what you sow. So in a thousand small decisions, the disciplines can change who we are. C.S. Lewis, he said it this way. He said, every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than what it was before. He's given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through knowing him. The decision to wake up and fill our minds with something. The decision to stop in a day that seems way too busy to pause and go, well, Jesus, I need you for this day. The decision to lay aside our own desires out of love for people. See, right now we know that our past experience with God is meant to give us present confidence. We've seen him act and so we trust him now. Well, in the same way, our present experience today, tomorrow, the next day, and the next day, or maybe it's a weekly discipline or maybe it's a monthly discipline, our present action is meant to be used by God to give us confidence and faith in God's future grace. Eric Liddell had that sort of confidence. Eric Liddell, many of you have heard him or heard of him or know his story. He was an Olympic gold medalist in 1924 Olympics. Eric Liddell trained and trained and trained for a race, but Eric Liddell didn't run on Sundays, and the race he was expected to win the gold medal in came up on Sunday, and Eric Liddell said, I'm, I'm not going to run. On Sunday. Now he had a sister who didn't like that he ran at all. She said, Eric, you're a Christian. Why are you running? What are you doing? And Eric Liddell said, I know God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so he ran. He ran. He trained, but he didn't just train to run, he trained to know. Jesus Christ. So Eric Liddell, at the height of his career, didn't end his statement by saying, I know God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. He eventually said, God made me for China. And Eric Liddell took the gospel of Jesus to China. As he'd made a thousand small decisions to know Christ. And this is it's really random. I wasn't planning on talking to you about Eric Liddell this week. But I, I just thought, don't know why I thought it, but just thought in the middle of the day, one day this week, huh, I wonder if Eric Liddell, he, he trained, I wonder if Eric Liddell said anything about the, 
spiritual disciplines. So I Googled high research here, Eric Liddell spiritual disciplines quote. And what I found out is that Eric Liddell was so impacted by the spiritual disciplines, he wrote a book on them. And in his book, Eric Liddell said, every Christian should live a God-guided life. If you're not guided by God, you will be guided by someone or something else. The Christian who hasn't the sense of guidance in his life is missing something vital. Could I just ask you a question that maybe you think about today? Maybe you think about it this week. Maybe you think about it as we enter this series. Who or what is guiding your life? Don't just pass over that and give the real quote. Well, obviously it's God, Chase, right? If you were in church, that's everyone's answer. Who or what is it? What's the thing that drives you and what or who is guiding your life? It's going to be guided by someone or something, but only when it's guided by Jesus day in and day out do we find what it means to be fully human and fully alive. So it's our hope that God would use these very ordinary practices in an extraordinary way. Because our time with God, corporate or personal, it doesn't have to begin red hot, but it gets there if we continue. So our prayer for you and for us as we start this series is this, is that God, that His Spirit is transforming us into whole life disciples, living in wholehearted devotion for the glory of God and the joy of His people. Because what a way to live. It's what we were destined for in Jesus, to be formed by him and conformed to his image. Would you pray with me? God, we ask just these words on the screen that your spirit would take ordinary actions of things like reading the scripture and memorizing the scripture and praying and fasting and being part of the church and giving and serving, showing hospitality, of stilling ourselves before you, Lord, because we need you, of pausing from the work. We, we live, God, like the world couldn't make it without us. But you've created us for rest so that we might work in the power that you supply. Would you take these actions and transform us and the whole life disciples who live in wholehearted devotion for your glory and for the joy of your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.